Some people have made a sermon out of one of the letters in Revelation that Jesus wrote, the church of the open door, as a church in California called that. But we're dealing now with the church of the revolving door. People come in, people leave. But others meet God and stay. But right now, the great question facing pastors and all the polling shows that it's a revolving door. Folks are there for a while, praising Jesus, rocking to the back and forth to the praise music, and then afuera, they're out, they're gone. But then there's others we have to reach, and they come for a while. Now, I'm not talking about backsliding. I have backslid. Have you ever backslid, gotten cold in your walk with the Lord, got distance between you and the Lord, broken fellowship, shall we say, and then you come back? That's has happened since the church began. That's always been a situation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about turning away to a point where you then, many of them, oppose Christianity, get vehement in their opposition to the thing they were once singing. When I wrote this book, Fan the Flame, I did some research, and it's remarkable. Like there are, and this is a very bad thing, there are churches with target groups. That's a very evil thing to me. We only are interested, let's say, in white people or black people. That's a very evil thing. Or we're interested generationally, we have prejudice. We only want 18 through 30. We want hipsters. We want Gen Z, whatever. That's our target group. That's not a biblical concept. That's a corporate America, Madison Avenue marketing concept. If you're breathing, you're our target group. Amen? (laughs) Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor heavy laid, not a special group. He died for the sins of the world. To have your doors not open to everyone, homeless, wealthy, poor, straight, gay, whatever. Your doors are open to everyone so you can love them and share the good news of Jesus. Come on, can we say amen to that by clapping our hands? But in these target churches, let's say the ones that are 18 through 30, that's what they have coming to their meetings. But in doing the research, I found out that these same churches existed, let's say, in 2003, 20 years ago. Well, wait a minute. If they existed 18 through 30, 20 years ago, the great mystery is, where did all those people go? Because they're not in those churches now because the target group is still 18 to 30. But they're not found in other churches because the Christian church is shrinking right now in America, unfortunately. So where are they? They're not to be found. In fact, when you go back, some of the ministers can't be found. So what was it? Was it a phase? Was it something you went through? Because let's say you were 25 in 2003. So now you're 45. You got a couple kids. And now you should be serving in that church and be a blessing to people because all the lessons you've learned over 20 years, right? The older we get, the wiser we get in the Lord, hopefully, right? That's why leaders are called elders in the church. They've made mistakes. They've learned, although God can use anybody at any age. So this is a dilemma. This is a real dilemma, but it's it's always been, but now it's been exacerbated over the last 25 years. Hands down, this is one of the major problems facing pastors. And 62% of the pastors in America in recent polling have said they would leave the ministry next week if they could only get a job with benefits to cover their family. 
90% of the wives are, I'm out of here. If I could just be guaranteed, my family wouldn't be hurt. So think of the discouragement that's out there. Everyone pounds the Bible on Sunday, praise God, he's on the throne. But secretly, what pastors are going through is very, very serious. My heart goes out. I want to help every pastor, every Christian. One of the reasons they're so discouraged is the church of the revolving door. Who can you depend on? It used to be that people went to church unless back in, let's say, 1950, 1960. That's 70, 75 years ago. So they went to church every Sunday, except if they were sick or out of town. Then it dropped about 30 years ago to three out of four Sundays. Then about 15, 10 years ago, it dropped to half the Sundays they go to church. You know, weather, I got an event, I want to have a family gathering, it's too cold, no, it's too hot, it's too sunny, it's too cloudy, I can't go out there now. And now it's 1.8 times a week the average person who says they're a Christian goes to church. And maybe some of that's you. You stop by when you feel like it. It could be right here. So this sermon's for all of us. Did Jesus ever address this? Is there anything in Scripture? Forget research. We want the Bible. So now let's look at one of the most famous parables, one of the few parables that's told in, related in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not in John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this famous parable of Jesus called the parable of the sower. So let's look at it, Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So let's get the picture. So many people that he goes in a boat out, sits down in the boat because he talked for long periods of time. Plus, the boat must have been rocking a little bit. And then the people gathered on the shore and he projected his voice and now gave them this famous parable. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, and what's a parable? A parable is a story. A parable is a story or a saying that has a a lesson to it. There can be secular parables, and there can be the tortoise and the hare. There's a story that has a thing to it. It's not how fast you go. You just got to keep going. Amen? So he taught a lot of things in parables. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So what's important on this parable, we're not going to go through the parable, I just want to talk about one case, is that the sower in all four cases is the same. There's not a different farmer, same farmer. The seed is the same. He doesn't have good seed, bad seed, shallow seed, good, great, strong seed. He's just sowing seed. And the Lord, as we're going to get to, explains later to them the lessons of it. And some seed 
falls on the roadside, the hard ground, the birds of the air, speaking of evil, come and pick the seed before it can even get into the heart. The thorny seed is the one that's sown among thorns. The thorns choke out the seed. Is that not something? He said that's the cares of life, the desire for riches. It chokes out the seed, even though the seed is the word of God. I mean, what's that about? Notice how strong the word of God is, but yet how vulnerable it is. Because competing growth killed the good plant. And then it fell on good ground. And the good ground was just ground that received it. And then the seed has the power, but you got to get it into the ground. You don't have to pray over the seed. Just get it in the ground. And once it gets in there, it produces 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. So powerful it is. But the one I want to get to is this. Let's go to this passage. The seed falling on rocky ground, Jesus said, refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So now the Lord explained to the disciples, the sower is the preacher. The seed is the word of God. And as the preacher goes out like he's going out today, it falls on all different kinds of ground. It's the same word, same gospel, but it has different effects. On some of you today, it happens every meeting, not to be confrontational. It happens in every meeting. Some are going to go out, and you won't even remember one thing about the service. You're going to move on to, like, the really important things in your life. You won't even remember it. Everything God wants to do, it's going to be snatched out of your mind and your heart. Satan playing us, playing you. The thorny ground, it went into the, into the ground, but the cares of life, the desire for riches, so busy doing life that it chokes out the root system of the word of God. The word of God. You know, that's why a lot of times Christian sloganeering is not a good thing. God is good all the time. He is. God's word is this and that and all that. But we take out what does the person do with the word of God? We make it like it's an automatic thing. Obviously, the seed is the word of God. But notice the four different things that happened. But this particular one I want to focus on is this one. The seed falling on rocky ground first to someone who hears the word and once receives it with joy. So this is the person who comes to the church or hears witnessing somewhere or whatever, and they like it. They want it. They receive it with joy. But just the friendliness of the Christians, the acceptance, the warmth, the, the beautiful music, They're drawn to it. The message of God's going to help you. My help. My help cometh from the Lord. (laughs) I buy into that. Maybe they get baptized. Maybe they get involved in the church. Come on. I know this like the back of my hand. You haven't seen this happen with friends or relatives? They're down with this stuff. I'm down with this. That's the person who receives it with joy. They don't say, I don't want to hear about God. I don't believe in Jesus. No, they're down with this. But verse 21, but since they have no root. Now, rocky ground, I was shocked when I did this study a while back that rocky ground doesn't mean ground that has a lot of rocks in it. No, 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 no. 
That's like thorns. The rocky ground is there's this much soil, but underneath is a plate, a massive plate of rock. It's just the soil is this only this deep, not way down. And below that is just a plate of rock, a sheet. That's the word. So when the seed is planted, what happens? The roots start to go down. They're very tender. But the whole future of the plant depends on the roots. So the roots try to get down like they do on the good ground. What is the good ground? The good ground just says, come on down, roots. It goes down, but it's blocked. The roots cannot bait, can't get through that plate. No, but God's word can do anything. No, no, please live in the real world here. He can do anything when it's received the right way. But if you got a sheet of rock and you've only got this much soil, ain't nothing happening according to Jesus. Did a plant come up? Was there life? Yep, there was life. It looked like all the other plants. It looked like all the other plants were lifting their hands and singing, every praise is due our Same. They ain't going to be singing it that long, though. The plant dies and disappears because the tender roots can't get to the moisture and the water that's below. That's how plants grow. The roots go down and live off of that moisture that the ground holds. And Jesus said, no, in the church of the revolving door, there's folks coming in, but they're not staying for long. They're going out again. It might be some of you. Listen, let's be real. We got to encourage each other. Why does Hebrews say, as long as it's called today, encourage each other, lest someone be deceived and get hard by the deceitfulness of sin? Why are you just staring at me? Am I preaching God's word here or what? So that's why we got to encourage each other because, look, if I know anything about our past history and the history of the Christian church, some are sitting here today. You're not going to be around serving God maybe within six months or a year. I would to God that wasn't true, but Jesus is giving us this parable for a reason. What's the problem with the plant? I got it. There's this plate of rock, sheet of rock. Roots can't go down. So Jesus explains it this way. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. So now, in the original parable, it said this. The seed was sown on rocky ground. And it it sprung up, and it was doing great. But then the sun came out, and the sun is a beast. You need the sun to live for plants, but if it gets really hot and scorched, the only way it can keep going is those roots go down and get their sustenance from the moisture below. Now Jesus likens that and says this. Here's what it means like in people's lives. Since they have no root... They last only a short time. Why? What was the sun that beat on them? No, it wasn't the sun. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They love the promises of the Bible. They love the idea of pleasures from the Bible, the idea of success and God will be with you and he'll get you a better job or when your daughter's sick, he can heal your daughter. They're all down for that. But they forgot that part of the gospel message is the pain of the gospel. Any minister who says there's not a pain is a liar. Of course there's pain. 
You have to take up your cross. The Bible says here, because trouble comes, they quickly fall away. What's that mean? Trouble comes from the word because now they get isolated by their family. Their family says, what's up with this Jesus stuff? Get out of here. I don't want to hear about this Jesus. What are you, a fanatic? What are you, a nut? Get out of here. Oh, I don't win. I, I want to be a Christian, but I didn't know it meant people rejecting me. How many Christians know exactly what I'm talking about? Just lift your hand. Or on the job. Or someone being invited out. Now you're not invited out to that crowd, with that crowd. People mocking you, looking at you funny. Or the word of God challenges you and you realize that all your money doesn't belong to you. It all comes from God and you're supposed to give some. Well, I didn't count on that. I'm not giving up some money for this. I don't mind getting healed and going to heaven, but I mean, please, don't touch my pocketbook. But see, the shallow person, they don't get that. They're just down for blessings and follow your dream and your destiny. But like Alvin said, he started to think about God's will for his life. What do you mean God's will? I'm not in charge anymore? No, you're not. He didn't die for you and raise again from the dead that you would go your merry way. If you call him Savior, you got to call him Lord. And Lord means he's in charge. Can we put our hands together and say amen? Well... That's why some people sitting here, right here, you're not buying into this at all because one thing you will not give up, you won't give up your own way. You're not going to give up your own way. You want your life. You don't mind a little help around the edges or maybe you mock God totally, but we're not about to give up our will. That's where the problem comes. And sooner or later, boom, you bang into the Bible. You bang into the claims of Christ. And if you have no roots, you don't last. Not just trouble. And by the way, all Christians go through trouble. If you're going through trouble today, join the crowd. We're having a fellowship next two weeks from now. It's going to call the Trouble Fellowship. Everyone who's in trouble, we're going to gather and have coffee, okay? We're going to have to make a lot of coffee. How many say amen? When trouble comes, I thought if you serve Jesus, it's just, there's no problems. You just walk through life. Oh, come on. And this is why it's the church of the revolving door, because Americans are totally narcissistic for the most part and self-centered, and we want our way. We don't, hey, when I'm in trouble, I don't mind God helps me. But uh, come on, be real. That's not going to survive. Notice also persecution because of the word. We're facing that now more and more in America, aren't we? The culture is getting more evil, dark, sick, anti-Christian, anti-Bible, anti-God. Am I correct here? Say amen if you agree with that. Some senator in another state or some official was coming out against the terrible things they're trying to bring into schools. The Department of Education in a lot of states, there's demonic influences. So he wanted to show some books that were given to the kids at seven, eight, nine years old, ten years old. The books were so pornographic that as he held them up to the cameras that were viewing this press conference, two stations had to cut away because their rules are they couldn't show stuff like that on their television, but were showing it to the children. That's a very sick thing, isn't it? 
But if you stand up for it, you're going to be called a hater or judgmental or whatever. And then the test comes. Are you going to stand? Not hateful, not judgmental. Are you going to stand in love and keep following Jesus? Or are you going to give in to the crowd? See, it all depends on roots. If roots don't go deep, when the storm comes, over. But when the roots go deep, did you know what it says about these uh, certain trees in the Caribbean? The more the storm comes, the stronger the tree gets. Their roots go down so deep that when the hurricanes come and all of that, the roots go, oh, yeah, you think that's so bad? Whoa, they go down deeper, and now they hang. Come on, let's thank God that storms can make us strong. If our roots go down, what's that got to do with us? Well, first of all, it's a warning for all of us, for me, for everyone. I'm nothing with nobody special. I need Jesus every day. How about you? Oh, oh, now I got that verse. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do. We all need encouragement. It's not who starts the race. It's who finishes it. How many determined to finish it? You're going to, by the grace of God, we're going to finish this race. I just want to ask this as I close. Why? Why do some people let the roots go down deep and then others are blocked? And when persecution or trouble comes because of the Christian faith. By the way, some of the nastiest anti-Christian books that have been written over the last 40 years, little research I've done, the people who wrote it grew up in church. One well-known person was an assistant to a very famous evangelist. But when he came out, oh, he really came out with vitriol toward anything Christian. All foretold by Jesus. Some plants only last a short time. Not because of the farmers. What's wrong with that farmer? No, the farmer did good. It's, they're not preaching the truth. No, it was, in this case, it was absolutely true. It was the gospel. Roots. That's why when ministers tell you, especially in the so-called charismatic circles, what is God going to do in the earth? What's God going to do? I tell them, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not that deep. What are you going to do? I know what God wants to do, but what are you going to do? How could God overcome our disobedience or our not willingness to be used by him? That's pseudo-spiritual. You know, the last picture of Jesus in the, we have on earth, as it were, in Revelation chapter 3, he's standing at a door of a church knocking. I stand at the door and I knock. He's outside the church. What's that about? And now the picture ends and we don't know what happened. What was God going to do in Laodicea in that church? I don't know. Did they get up and open the door? If they did, he came in and it was good. Let me say amen. If they never got up because they were, didn't want to put down the remote, then he never came in. We determine the future. God's willing and able. Why do some people go to hell and some people go to heaven? Because of God? No, because of the choices they make with the offer that God has given them. So what is this difference? I'll tell you the main difference is some people never get broken by their own sin. I'll tell you people who cling to Jesus. The people who cling to Jesus are the ones who know that they are really sins, though they're scarlet. They know Jesus has made them whiter than snow. They know how evil they've been. 
The people who pass it on, no, you don't know how I grew up. Pastor Jim, you just don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand because you're black or you're white or you're this. And I grew up and, and all of that. And they have a thousand excuses. And churches are so judgmental and this and that. Oh, come on, wake up. His name shall be called Jesus. He'll save his people from their sin. The big problem in the world today is S-I-N, sin, not taxes, not government, not Republicans, not Democrats. The main problem that Satan uses to try to draw all of us into his net is sin, violating God's word. God's word is holy, and when you disobey it, God has said the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And if you're not broken by your own sin, most likely you're not going to cling to the Savior. You only cling to the Savior when you know this is my only hope. How many have found him as your only hope? The only hope I have. I know who I am. I know, what I, I know my track record. The only hope I have in this world when I die is Jesus. Otherwise, I'm going to make my bed in hell. Only Jesus could save me. You might be clinging to something else, your own good works, your church, your degrees, your new cell phone, whatever you're hanging on to. It's not going to do you any good when you die. Listen to me. Look at me. Listen to me so I can sleep tonight. You're all going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. Your peers and the culture will be of no help to you. Unless Jesus is a liar and a fraud, he's telling us the truth. What would it profit you if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? from your sin. Well, I don't see it that way. I'm not asking you to see it my way. I'm telling you what Jesus said. I don't want you to join the church, but for God's sake and for your sake, turn to Jesus. Let those roots go down. And you know what? You might be offended by my directness today, but you know what? When we meet in heaven, you'll be hugging me and I'll be hugging you. And you'll say, oh, thank you for telling me the truth. Can we say amen, all of us? That's what holds people back. They're not broken. All the great people in the Bible that made it, it's because they were broken over their own sin. Don't worry about demons. Forget demons. Forget everything else that people are talking about. It's sin. Jesus came that he would break the penalty, save us from the penalty of sin, eternal death, separation for him forever. Please listen, we're all going to be somewhere a billion years from now. Don't listen to your culture, your whiteness, your Polishness, your Trinidadian culture, your black culture, whatever culture you come from. Forget it. Run to Jesus. Listen to what, listen, listen to what Jesus said. He'll save us from the penalty of sin. He will save us from the power of sin. He'll make you a new person. You'll have the, the ability to say no to things that are eating your lunch, that are destroying you and your family and your children. What do you think all the tears and pain in this borough of Brooklyn just? What do you think it comes from? It comes from sin, violence, murder, sin. And one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. We won't even have a sinful nature to have to deal with. We're going to be in heaven. And we're going to be like him because we're going to see him like he is, as he really is. So, listen, I'm pleading with you. What angle do I have? You don't have to put money in. I don't want you to join the church. So what's my angle? I don't want you to buy my books. I don't care about anything. I just want you to know, receive Jesus and get him deep into your life. Let his roots go down. Oh, some of you right now, I hear from the Holy Spirit. Some of you now are judging what I'm saying. What's going to happen when God judges you? 
What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Then how will your friends help you when you're face to face with God? What will your money help you? And your degrees and whatever you are into. It won't help you. It's going to be you and God. Me and God. And the only hope I have is Jesus. He's my savior. I don't have a chance in this world to be accepted by God. I'm the least of my mother's three children. Caused aggravation, lied, stole, terrible. I cut school so much, some of the teachers didn't even know who I was when I showed up. I lied to my mother. And she had an alcoholic husband, my father, and I just gave her more aggravation. I know who I am. Do you know who you are? That's the point. Here's what keeps people going, and I'm done. Psalm 51. This is a great man of God, David. Notice what he says. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Here's the key verse. You do not delight in sacrifice, animals, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. When you're broken under the load of your own sin and you know who you are, you will hang on close to Jesus. And the world laughs and the world mocks and there's trouble. You can say, whatever, I'm clinging to Jesus. Come on, let's say aloud, amen. I need my Jesus. The word contrite, the word contrite there actually means pulverized. I know to some of you that, ooh, that's so, so melodramatic and pseudo-emotional. Listen, it means pulverized. It means a man who has seen what he is, a woman has seen who she is, and they're broken down by God's holy nature and the judgment he could bring, and then he extends mercy, and they get broken inside. They get broken. They're broken. Come to my library up in my office, great men and women of the faith over the years, everyone that God really used, they were broken. They preached Jesus because they needed Jesus. It was an experience to them. It was a reality, not doctrinal truth merely that has no connection to their heart. Well, what can I do? I prayed last night this morning, God, how do I tell the people, should I get on my knees? I'll get on my knees. I'll plead with you. You got the reality of this, the parable of the four ground. What kind of ground do you have? Don't tell me what God can do. What are you letting God do? I know that sounds strong. If God is on the throne, I know he has all power, but read what the parable said. Thorns can shut the thing down. Rocky ground can cut it from the moisture it needs. But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And did you know why? When you're broken over your sin and the longer you walk with God, when you say or do something wrong, the conviction will come. Don't let 10 seconds pass. Go right to the Lord, right when you sense it, and say, Father, forgive me. I confess my sin. And then the fellowship is restored. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't play loose with sin. Keep a short account. Don't go to bed at night without letting God examine your heart. Because this is the real deal here. 
What are you into that's really important? Are you into the stock market? Are you into like uh, uh, geopolitical events as they're happening, unfolding across the earth? That's child's play. Those are little toys. How about this? Your soul. Your soul. Your soul. Oh, but I went to church. That won't cut it. But I like, I put a, a couple bucks in the offering. Won't make it. You got to confess your sins. You got to say, God, have mercy. And you got to keep that every day. And you got to cling to the Savior. Oh, I love him. I love him more today. I told him this morning, I love you more now than I ever have before in my life. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Are you into some other name? What's, your, what's the name you're into? Some cause? Your own name? Give it up. Come on, Christians. Do I get some encouragement up here? Give it up. Let him have it. Let him have his way. I'm not doing an altar call of that kind. If you want to open your heart to Jesus, so be it. Jesus never gave altar calls, but a lot of people ended up following him. And there's nothing wrong with them, but I just feel like loving on Jesus right now. How many have found him like I have? So patient, so tender. Lift your hand if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, like, I look back on my life, I just end up a puddle of tears been such a rascal and instead of throwing me away he keeps loving me is that your testimony if you're here today and you say pastor god spoke to me through that message i don't need to know all the details of what you're going through you don't need to talk to a priest or a pastor we got a great high priest named jesus you tell him what you need to tell him lord we thank you for your word today it's a challenging word but we thank you for it and we thank you that we're here today and clinging to you. Others might not see that you're so important, but to us, you are life. You are my life. You're my only hope. You're my salvation. You're my righteousness. You're my everything, Jesus. We're, like Peter said, where could we go? When you said to them, the disciples, are you two going to leave me? Where could we go that we could have someone like you, Jesus? We love you more than money, land, fame, education. Keep us close to you today. Thank you for the most beautiful congregation in the world, Lord. I thank you that I can be singing with them every single Sunday and Tuesday. Help us to now love each other. Bless that fellowship going on here with the 30s, Lord. Bless the offering as they leave. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Turn around, give someone a hug, a handshake. Come on.